This is a McKillop podcast. Welcome to Exploring Curiosity, Resiliency, and Hope, a podcast for times of challenge and transformation. We are excited for your presence as we learn, grow, and evolve from a multitude of voices and wisdom. This is a space for conversations and curiosity, finding ways to be resilient with all that is happening in our personal lives and the world, and maybe finding an embodied hope to live by. We join our host, Trevor, in conversation with Reverend David Robertson, who really knows disasters. He and his partner survived the evacuation and flooding of High River, Alberta in June 2013, where they received 325 millimeters, or 12.7 inches, of rain in less than 48 hours. Since then, David has served the community on its road to recovery and finding resiliency again. So I, I feel that even before we get to hope, there's a certain degree to which we need to come alongside our vulnerability and, and name that for what it is. And the pandemic has certainly unearthed or surfaced human vulnerability in so many ways. David is a pastoral theologian currently serving the United Church of Canada in High River, where he has been in full-time ministry with his partner, Susan Lukey, for 25 years. David received training through the Pacific Jubilee Program in spiritual direction and formation. He is also a member of the Neufeld Institute, Learning Community, which specializes in attachment theory and developmental psychology with an emphasis on the adult-child relationship. Right now, David is a participant in the Institute's year-long advanced therapy practicum program. He is a choral musician, loves speaking and learning Spanish, plays the flute, and knows at least six words in Gaelic. He's a lover of fountain pens, ink, and fine paper. Well, thank you so much for joining us, David, today as we continue um, this podcast. And I'm really grateful that you're with us today to share of your wisdom and perspective um, as we continue this journey. As we begin today, what would you like uh, people to know about you? Well, first of all, uh, Trevor, thanks for having me. Uh, what a privilege, uh, what a joy. And, and uh, I think, you know, when I think about what people might want to know about me is that I'm kind of a regular guy. Um, I, I'm a dad. I have two university-age sons, uh, one just graduating with a political studies degree and the other uh, entering his fourth year as a piano major in piano performance. Uh, I've been married now almost 30 years. We're on the countdown. Oh, wow. The anniversary is uh, in a couple of weeks. And have been in ministry with uh, folks here at High River for 25 years as of July 1st. That's, that's quite amazing to me. When we first arrived here, we thought, oh, you know, well, we'll be here three or five years. And, you know, little did we know. So 
it's it's been a very rich, uh, engaging, and very very fine pastoral relationship, and I feel just really privileged. So I'm also uh, a student of Dr. Gordon Newfelt, who is the um, founder of the Newfelt Institute. It's uh, located in the Lower Mainland of BC in Vancouver. British Columbia, and it is uh, an institute that has given its life to exploring uh, developmental psychology and particularly the role that attachment theory plays in the adult-child relationship. So those paradigms are very, very fluid and very integrative and touch almost every aspect of, of life, and I have found it to be particularly helpful and supportive in pastoral ministry in dealing um, with families, uh, the adult-child relationship for sure, uh, but also just using the paradigm as a lens through which to see what's what's going on in the lives of those who uh, show up in front of me. Uh, so it's it's uh, that's been a journey of about eight years now, I think and uh, I have completed advanced studies and am now in uh, a year-long practicum uh, as a practitioner. So that's a case study-based and course-based uh, year. So I'm just about ready to go into the case-based piece of that year. And uh, so that sits before me alongside a little bit of intrepidation. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll be good. <laughs> it'll be good. So that's a little that's the, a, a little bit about me. <laughs> well, that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? It most certainly is, and and I'm actually quite excited about it because the uh, we're a cohort. I think we're eleven students, mostly uh, from across Canada, uh, but also from Europe, and uh, so the way that this next piece will work is that each person will uh, produce a case study and then it is uh, part of the reflection and integrative process for the whole group as we work together in using insight to see what we see and to go from there in our learning. So yeah, it's all about seeing well, this insight basis. Well, it seems like a lot of life is about Sometimes, I don't know which order it comes in, but we see something and then we try and integrate it, or we learn something and try and integrate it. Integrate it. And we're, we're in such a time now that maybe many folks, I don't know about yourself, I am, and sometimes are being challenged with uh, the pandemic and uh, so many things that are happening in our personal lives. And so from your, from your wisdom, how... How do you how do you see a hope unfolding in a very practical way, like the the rubber hitting the road? Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that's a, that's a question. I think that's going to take me a little while to walk around. Um, and and I think where I'd want to start with that is to simply acknowledge what it means to be human hmm. and one aspect of being human because there's certainly many 
But I, I think one aspect that I would tie up in a bow alongside hope is the acknowledgement that we need to give to our vulnerabilities. So I, I feel that even before we get to hope, there's a certain degree to which we need to come alongside our vulnerability and, and name that for what it is. And the pandemic has certainly unearthed or surfaced human vulnerability in so many ways. Too many to be named. Yeah. But the research and the media are certainly showing us those vulnerabilities in terms of class, race, certain demographics related to age, right? So we see vulnerability and we see it very clearly. And I feel that that is an important place to come alongside and to take up a relationship with that aspect of being human, that we are all in one way or another being touched by our vulnerabilities. And I, I don't think that's easy for most people to do. I, I think most people would rather not acknowledge vulnerability. Um, but I feel that we, we need to do that. Uh, we need to take up a relationship with vulnerability as a way forward. And then to understand where does our, where does our energy go when we try to defend against it? Mm. And we defend against our vulnerability in all manner of ways. Now, trust me, I, I do plan to get to hope. <laughs> but, it's all right. But, I, but, I, but there is something about hope that's attached to vulnerability, and I, I don't know that we can do one without the other. So, sorry, can, can I ask you an intersecting question um, around acknowledging vulnerability, which I think is beautiful? Um, and really human, <laughs> instead of some theory, it's like life is life, isn't it? And yes. So for yourself, uh, are you willing? Is there some vulnerability that that you're being asked to be with right now, with the pandemic personally, and and maybe you could help uh, weave that into, you know, this process of how do we come alongside vulnerability? Oh, absolutely. Um... I, I, I think that's why I'm bringing a vulnerability up in this way um, because it is the very thing that I find myself working and walking around to, to name it for what it is in, in my own life because uh, the pandemic, generally speaking, uh, is is raising the nature of vulnerability for all of us and and where that shows up in my life I think is is the the limited amount of life force that's in me that I can give to taking up a relationship with the pandemic 
So for, for those uh, who are joining us today and may have some vocabulary around the Star Trek series, dating all the way back to 1966 <laughs> or 67 and beyond, all the way into the 80s, 90s, uh, they, any, anyone who's conversant in, in, in that series will understand that in times of conflict, the crew of the Starship Enterprise has to divert energy to the ship's shields in order to protect them mm -hmm. from their vulnerability. Now, in an hour-long show, on a weekly basis, it almost is guaranteed that energy is going to go to the shields at some point during the show. But it is only for a limited amount of time. That is until the battle is won or the danger is gone. Yeah, can't hold it together much longer, Captain. Exactly. And so they, it reaches its limits, but it's always resolved somehow. Now, the interesting thing about the pandemic is that all of us human beings are directing energy to our shields on a constant basis, day by day by day by day. The kinds of things that we do that we would take for granted without necessarily drawing on our resources, like going to the grocery store or to the pharmacy or putting gas in the car, in a normal kind of pre-pandemic world, we would think nothing of that, and it wouldn't really take very much from our energy reserves to do. However, now, of course, it's very different. We're thinking all the time about our safety, about the protocols, the health measures in place, what's available to us, what's not available to us, not to mention all the lacks, losses, all the grief, all the cancelled events, all the things that we had planned, our vacation, <laughs> is <laughs> not available. And so we, we are putting energy to our shields constantly in ways that I don't think we're always conscious about. But when we sit long enough, we realize that we're tired. Uh, and so yeah, that, I'm tired. Yeah, you know, so, so where I feel that vulnerability in my own life, that's one clear example. And, and where that impacts is, is in so many ways. So it impacts my marriage. It impacts my capacity to be emotionally present to my partner, to my children. It, it, it impacts the ways that I can be available as a pastor to our congregants who are also all tired, maybe lacking patience, maybe even a bit snippy. <laughs> you know, boy, I've been there. So, <laughs> so or, or it impacts in such a way as that I have nothing else left in me to give. And that becomes... Uh, a real challenge in order to foster what would be ongoing resilience and hope. So all of that's wrapped up in, in vulnerability, right? Yeah, it is. And 
and like you said, we might be aware of this, but then underneath we have a whole, sometimes an unconscious life that we're not aware of either that's churning around. Um, sometimes it wakes us up in the middle of the night and we don't know why we're up. But I'm just thinking with your studies around attachment and attachment theory is that all this will be uh, sort of pushing the buttons of of past trauma, past attachment stuff, uh, stuff that's unfinished, emotions that want to, a whole bunch of stuff too at the same time. Absolutely. So noticing that we haven't yet got to hope. <laughs> that's okay, hope. <laughs> but, hope, but, it, hope, that's all right. I, I, but I, I feel rather intentional about this because you know, the irony is not lost on me that I'm actually seeding hope <laughs> and not talking about it quite yet. But there's there's some things I think that are worthy of understanding in terms of how human nature works and and why this being human in the in the context of a pandemic um, is complicated. And but maybe a little insight around you know, why Why do we feel the kinds of things that we feel and what are Im the emotional uh, challenges that we, f we face when it comes to looking at attachment? So let me suggest that one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult things to face as a human being is separation one from the other, right? This is, oh. is an instinctual thing, and it's not just humans. It's it's yes. across the whole spectrum of of all those creatures on our planet that are mammals. We have in well, our I, oh, DNA. I would even say pl plants. To be honest, now Re research is showing yeah. that um, that plants grow in communities, and yes. their root systems are connected by fungal systems and they actually talk yes. to each other. Yes. So sorry to interrupt you. It's no, just, I, love uh, it. it's, I, it, I, I think it's a part of our, I think I'd call it part of the divine nature of our universe is attachment. Yes. Well, so, and in yeah. fact, I mean, that's as a theologian, this is just like fabulous territory to be walking around because when, when we look at our faith, as revealed through the prophets and the sages and, and, and the writing down of all that wisdom, as it helps point us toward a relationship with the divine, we will inevitably notice that it is all about creating attachment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a whole bunch I could go on about that. But if 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 we say that fundamentally our biblical faith is is all about leaning in to God in a safe attachment, then perhaps we've touched the deepest part of the mystery, which is everywhere we turn and in every direction we look we will see evidence of the divine sorting out a way to help bring human beings back together again with each other and with God 
and and because we know that human beings flourish when they are held inside a safe attachment we probably have no other better metaphor or way of expressing attachment than in the divine purpose itself and i appreciate that whole that that whole uh mycelial uh connectivity that exists under the ground as as plants uh are in touch with each other you, you i couldn't agree more that we see evidence of attachment in the universe and in our known world it is like nuclei and 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 atoms are revolving around each other they're attached <laughs> you know planets revolve around solar are in solar systems they're attached the universe is all about attachment uh so I, I i i think when we frame it in terms of yeah. a divine language we've touched on the very essence of what helps us flourish in times of disaster in times of stress or threat because all that matters in those instances is our attachment with each other mm -hmm. and that's why human beings are going to go first for their loved ones no matter what <laughs> yeah and w would you say this attachment as we're sort of circling around here we'll, um, is is it's an attachment that at one level is looking for um, diversity and uh, connection or unity, not conformity and uniformity. Uh, or, or another way to put it is th this attachment is looking, how, how do we remain together but fully differentiated and not go into enmeshment and merging together as a way to find that attachment? Well, I actually think it's the other way around. Okay. I would say that attachment is what fosters diversity. Because in a safe attachment, you can be fully who you are. So, so, so what does a safe attachment look like? Oh, so a safe attachment, let's, let's, let's think of it in human terms. Because okay. that's, that's who we are. Yeah. A safe attachment is going to be, especially for kids, the capacity or the context in which they can rest in, in, in the accompaniment of a caring and mature adult in such a way that they can just grow and become themselves. So attachment, a healthy, safe attachment is, is that which provides room and context for the gentle tending of the human being. Just like, so the best image is like a gardener. Hmm. That's you know, the image in my head. It's what creates the right conditions for growth and creates room for time and development to occur or the, the, the time that development takes to occur. It can't be rushed. It, it honestly can't be taught. It is simply midwifing 
nature's way. So attachment is kind of like nature's workshop. It, 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 it's what fosters and creates room for growth and development. And so a safe attachment is what does that. It, 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 it opens the room and space for that to occur. Like I can't make a tomato grow. I can't say I've got a lovely set of tomato plants along the south side of my garage. I can't go out to the garden every day and stand in front of them and say, make a tomato, do it now. <laughs> I, I, you know, by five o'clock tonight, I need a tomato. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's astounding to me how in our North American context, that's kind of how we expect our kids to grow up. By five o'clock mm. tonight, you've got to have, you got to know how to share, you got to know how to be respectful, you got to know how to be a good socialized child and somehow we think we can teach that and make it happen but when we frame it as a developmental issue we realize that we can't do that we can only create the context and help tend that as the child grows and develops right mm -hmm. i may have i may have got off the track a little bit there but but when it comes to diversity your original question mm -hmm. it would seem to me that diversity the capacity to be fully who we are is is fostered by having in the best possible world in in assuming all the luxury is there and the conditions are right we can be safe enough to be fully who we are and we can offer that as the caring mature adults in relationship with our our kids and with anyone who's under our care. It, it all, all this makes me pause. Like pause as I listen to you and uh, safe attachments. So we have, so we're in a pandemic. Um, I hear you saying we need to saddle up to our vulnerabilities. And then that's also connected then to safe attachments. It, it, right there, we could we could just we could just stay with a with, with this theme. So, as as adults, though, in in all that's happening, I, I um, how do you transfer a safe attachment uh, environment, which can't be taught uh, to children? but more like a gardener or, or modeled. What does that mean for adults during these times of tumultuous vulnerability and stress? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the question, right? Like I would be, uh, I feel vulnerable in even trying to answer that question. <laughs> um, because it's 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 it, it is a very human question. So one of the things that throws a real wrench into this equation, and and we we kind of joke about this a little bit in in High River because m folks who are listening to this podcast may or may not know that in 
2013, our town was wiped out, literally wiped out by a very bad flood. And uh, so our, our pandemic joke is, in 2013, we were all forced out of our homes. In 2020, we're all forced into our homes. <laughs> now, the difference is that in, in the flood, we could be in our homes, but we could still be with each other. And we weren't uh, obfuscated by self-isolating measures and the like. So that's a significant shift between the two disasters that continues to be um, quite problematic, I think. So, so while we chuckle about being in or out of our house, being forced out by the waters or forced in by the pandemic, what we hold in common through both those experiences still the need to bridge separation, to find a way over the separation that's going on. And, and that is, I think, more challenging in the context of these pandemic times because of the social isolation that exists as we take care to protect each other. So I, I think of two things uh, around that. In terms of separation, it is one of the ways forward is is to find ways that work to bridge it, to put our faces in the direction of our next connection. So, for example, what I heard just this past Sunday, because uh, our congregation continues to meet on Sunday morning by Zoom, and for all of its pluses and minuses, I knew we hit a sweet spot when I heard more than one person who joined us for our Zoom worship say, ah, it feels so good to see each other. It feels so good to be together this way. And you know, I look forward to it. I look forward to our Zoom worship because I have a sense of connectivity. Now that's sort of me paraphrasing two or three separate conversations. And, and personally, when I, uh, we, we host Zoom worship from our basement office, uh, when we come upstairs and make tea and coffee after our time together, I do feel lighter. I feel like my spirit has been lifted by being in the company of others. Oh my goodness, it's sure not the same as being in the physical company of each other. I, I totally get that and, and one day we will and we'll find ways around that, I'm sure, that are safe and, and faithful. But in the meantime, I think we are finding ways to help bridge the crisis of separation, which, as I said very earlier, um, human beings are not designed to cope with. They don't like it. It's not our natural inclination. So once we know that and know how important it is for us to foster relationship, and we do that as a form of attachment, that helps. I think it does. Um, so separation as uh, something that the, the pandemic is, is very good at, at creating for us.
and something that we need to keep in mind as we look for and discover ways to bridge it uh, and put our faces in connection or in direction of our next connection. You were you you suggested you had a second point too that you're going to say around this. I don't know if you remember it. I did say that, and I can't remember. <laughs> it might come back to me. It might come back. It's to okay. Me. I was just curious. <laughs> so, would you say that I'm curious? Like you've you've ex you experienced the the devastation of the flood and high river in 2013 now you're experiencing this global pandemic and you're part of it as i am and all of us are in in these situations did did you ever uh lose hope i would say to be honest i have not okay. lost hope in its entirety but both situations have given me pause to think about what hope is for me you know yeah uh, and 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 i think you know there's a there's a couple of things i always say a couple of things and then i i remember one and forget the other um <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I, I was just uh, just reading a little article, a uh, transcription actually of an interview or a, a conversation that uh, has been uh, written down by uh, another uh, vlogger, um, blogger named Rabbi Brian. He's a Jewish rabbi out of the Pacific Northwest. And he raises this whole question of hope uh, especially in these times that are, are, are very complicated, not only because of the pandemic, but also because of the number of world or global situations that are unfolding. And so how do we, how do we even speak of hope when there are so many human beings impacted by a number of both human and natural caused disasters, globally speaking. Not to mention all of the narratives that are going on, for example, climate change, Black Lives Matter, the, the very significantly impacting uh, events and conversations. So it would be very easy, I think, to become quite despairing as we see things unfolding at a glacial speed, which if you're a climate change person, that's in itself worrying. Oh, uh, yeah. there, there's, so, there's so much. I mean, talk yeah. about vulner, vulnerability. <laughs> there we are, we're back to vulnerability yeah. again where we yeah. started. But it's like I have my personal vulnerabilities. I have my messes. Uh, maybe you do. Uh, we have our community stuff, our human relationship vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, marriages are breaking down right now. Kids are isolated, all sorts of things. And then we have our political vulnerabilities. And then, like you just mentioned, 
there's there's uh, there's our uh, ecological vulnerabilities, which aren't going away as we're doing the pandemic. And uh, like, f for instance, myself, I, I get quite despondent when I go outside at night now and I turn on the light on the deck and there are no moths anymore. There's no moths. That really speaks to uh, a diversity that's gone missing. It speaks to a vulnerability in the connection, I guess, or for me, the attachment of our life. So, how, yeah, how do we, uh, since we circled back to vulnerabilities, like, <laughs> how do we work with them? I don't think we answered that in the beginning or even sort of walked around it. I'm not expecting, <laughs> maybe you do have the answer for us, but yeah, how do we work with these vulnerabilities that we that we keep sort of circling around? Yeah. With? <clears throat> well, and and so Trevor, I appreciate the fact that if we all uh, spend enough time with each other, we'll recognize that we each have our own messes. <laughs> that that there is not a single human being on the planet that doesn't. And, and and that speaks to our vulnerability. It, it speaks to um, the the very fact that no matter how hard we try and how much energy we put to our shields, yeah, we are um, we're vulnerable. Uh, yeah, this it just is. It's, it's it, and 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 I think the the nature of that the the sense of it is is even more before us because there's so much of what's going on around us that we really can't control by ourselves it we just can't um so so if we were to mix vulnerability and hope together as as siblings as partners i i'm reminded uh uh by paul tillich systematic theologian uh, who very much said that hope faith and love are decisions we make. They are choices, right? So I've been thinking about that a little bit because in, in terms of what is it that we can do, because I do believe we all want to do something. And, and, and this may be, it probably is, wholly naive on my part. But I, I, I'm a fan of naivete. I actually am. I think it, naivete is what helps us be creative and insightful when we bring, when we sort of reimagine that. So I don't view it as a negative. I view it as a positive and, and, and a deep spiritual practice, actually. Um, so to, to, to tap into one's naivete. Uh, creates room, I think, for us to to honestly believe in our God-given grace and power to choose. So we can choose faith. We can 
choose hope. We can choose love. And I'm, I'm reminded <laughs> also about what the nature of a decision is. Whenever we decide for something, we are automatically grieving what we have chosen not to do. So there's always some letting go in every single decision we make and that will be a, accompanied by a modicum of grief or loss. So if I choose hope, I'm not choosing cynicism. <laughs> I'm not choosing despair. That, that's ruled out by my choice. If I choose gratitude, then I'm ruling out a whole bunch of other things in order to make room for that. And I honestly, just as an aside, I, I honestly feel that gratitude is perhaps one of the most important spiritual practices we have. And I learned that coming out of the flood hmm. you know i have my life i'm grateful for that i have my partner i'm grateful for her i have the top floor of my house i'm grateful for that yeah i lost everything on the lower floor of my house everything but i'm grateful for what survived i'm grateful for my sons for my dog for the trees on my backyard. I'm grateful for the two moths that showed up at my light last night. I, I did notice that. And I'm grateful for the stars in the sky. And I can go on listing a thousand things that I'm grateful for. Mm. That mm -hmm. is a spiritual practice. So that I feed that and, and sort of weave that into the decisions we make around hope, faith, and love. Um, Literally, decision means to cut something out. <laughs> so I, 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 if I decide for hope, I'm, I'm cutting something else out. So in terms of, of, of how we, we might live in these pandemic times, I don't underestimate the huge value we have in the capacity to make choices. And I, I would rather choose hope than despair or hope than cynicism, right? And, yeah. and by nature, that's the kind of guy I am. Despite how low I may feel or how lonely I might be or how angry and frustrated I might be, I can still make choices to the best of my capacity and ability, right? So, if you'll indulge me, there's a couple of things attached to that I think are important in terms of dealing with vulnerability yes. and dealing with hope and dealing with separation. And, and because this is what leads to hope and resilience because I promised we would get there. I think this might oh, be the way go, in. Go so for it. I'm here, curious. Here, here we go. Uh, it is about taking up a relationship with our emotions. What I know to be true 
and neuroscience proves this out, is that when we allow room for our tears that come from the futilities we face, the things we cannot change, and that may be as clear as saying to our infant child, no, you cannot have the green cup to put your milk in. We only have the red cup. And there'll be tears about that because the green cup is what's wanted and the red cup is what's available. And we just simply need to help our child have their tears as a way of scripting for the big things that are coming in their lives. You know, there's those little yeah. things, but then there's the existential things, and and there's there and everything in between. So we should be feeling a lot of futility around the pandemic, and the things that we cannot change about it. We should be feeling loss and sadness around the things we cannot fix or the things we cannot change. And so a good cry is, it, 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 it's required. <laughs> it's, it, it is maybe the best medicine we have right now. Why? Well, and yeah. Well, in some ways, that's a radical spiritual practice for Indeed. our Western intellectual society and for men on top of it. Oh, my goodness. You to, know, I used to think, it, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, I, I'm good to go with you in, in, in the men department. Um, but I think, while that is certainly true, most most guys struggle with with figuring out the relationship they have with their emotions but it, it's not entirely across the board I would I would say that well that is it is a very deep spiritual practice but it is something that lies at the root I believe of our North American culture generally speaking mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. we don't grieve well we don't get to tears well and and you know okay I, I count myself amongst those. I, I have my tears when I feel the safest. And and sometimes that's at three o'clock in the morning when I'm by myself. Yeah. We, You know, I'm not saying we should just go out and have a good cry because it's the right thing to do. I'm saying we need to have a good cry in the context where we feel safe and where we can access those tears. And, and, that is also a way we bridge separation yeah. by allowing uh, the, the, the ability for us to lean into each other when we need each other and, and to have that shoulder to cry on when there's nothing well, not, else to yeah. do. Well, not feel um, ashamed either. Oh, or yeah. it seems like a lot of what we're experiencing, and I, I don't want to lose where we're going, but with uh, just to unpack it with you a little bit is that in in the mess of our life and all these vulnerabilities we don't have control over sometimes and that might even be our own thoughts in our head they we might have some thoughts that just keep coming back over and over even as we choose as you say to cut them off uh, there's no magical formula is that um 
we, we, we look so often for uh, perfection or control and to, to grieve or to cry is to let go of it that. It certainly requires that. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a helpful way of, of, of framing it. Um, because my, I would say most of us are not really comfortable with, with the messiness of emotions. I mean, in, in, in the uh, age of reason, <laughs> emotions left the equation pretty much in favor of, of, of reason, mathematics. Um, emotions were considered to be messy. And, and there's lots you can, you can research around that, but that's a short answer um, to, to how emotions got sidelined. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm convinced, and, and this is where my relationship with the Neufeld Institute has been particularly insightful for me, is understanding that the role of emotions in our lives is fundamental. It is the engine that drives maturation. It is what leads us to adaptation, resilience, and hope. This is fascinating to me. So I remember my son, my oldest son, coming home from a really, really rough day when he was in like grade 11 or so, grade 10. So frustrated. And, and how that was being presented was, was anger. And anger, because most of us have trouble with that one too, anger is a product of frustration, pure and simple. It's a secondary emotion to a primary one, which is frustration. So frustration is something's not working. It's not working. Yeah. I'm frustrated. It needs no, yeah, needs not being met. Yeah, it's just, I can't get what I need, it's not working, you know. So you can see that across the animal world. You can see animals be frustrated. I can see my dog get frustrated when he can't get to the bone he's trying to get to. You know, that like, it, it's, it's an emotional process that we all have. Yes. And, and You won't and, feed me. No, so it's important that we just have our emotions. In Gaelic, interestingly enough, the, the Celtic world understands emotion as that which simply comes over us or falls upon us. Um, we just have them. It's a natural aspect of being human. So I, I just want to put a plug in for emotions. They matter and we need them and we have them. And in fact, they are what helps us move towards resilience and hope. Yeah. When we cry, when we have our tears of futility, that actually sets up and creates room for our ability to adapt. And, and, and it is what provides the capacity for bounce back, which is another way of understanding resilience. We simply need to trust nature here that nature hmm. will deliver us through our tears to the other side, which is our adaptive capacity and, and resilience. It's neuroscience. Yeah. 
I, I also hear as you're speaking about the capacity of emotions, I don't hear shame or guilt or any of sometimes that language you'll hear, maybe you, we picked up growing up, like uh, there's lots of things, uh, different family systems have different rules, but I almost hear like emotions are part of our divine nature. Yes. As human beings. Yes. And, yes. and, and also what I hear, and I'm curious how you might talk about this in terms, emotions are embodiment they're not uh, the neurocortex so much. They're not like the emotions are part of being an embodied human being. Like they're, they're connected. And when you experience your emotions or experience crying, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but where do you experience them in your body? Well, it mostly it's in my core. Mm. I experience them in my core. Uh, What's that like? Well, it just kind of depends on the emotion I'm having. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but 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 if if it's if it's happiness, for example, then it, it I experience mm-hmm. it as a kind of 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 uh, there's a, it's a it's a a lovely uh, feeling of of lightness and all is okay with the world. You know, a contentment that mm. that that comes over me, so that you know the sense again of of reflecting back to to the Celtic understanding of emotion as that which yeah. befalls us or comes over us. It's it's the sense that we have them and and they are uh, inexpri- inextricably interwoven into our being. So yes, uh, very much and. A part of of our our essence, our our embodiment, absolutely. Uh, if 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 I'm having anger or something related to frustration, then I experience it as tightness, as you know, a kind of clenching of of my body. It's it's, and and it 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 really is. Like we understand emotional response as an electrical charge. That charge has to go somewhere. It's got to come out. And and so the more we become emotionally conversant or increase our emotional vocabulary, the more awareness we have around our emotional lives, then I believe the, the, the easier it is to take up a relationship with them and simply allow them to move. As they serve to move us, emotion means to move us uh, to mm. move right so we allow ourselves the 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 room to to let the emotions move us and we will experience them in various different ways in our body for sure um, but i think it's some a, a, a sort of an additional thought to that is somewhere along the line we've we've assumed that there are good emotions and bad emotions, negative and positive ones. And, and in fact, the only reason that is the case is because we are the ones who put those labels on them. Emotions are really value neutral. They don't have a plus or a minus attached to them other than perhaps a, a, a charge, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but in terms of positive or negative or good or bad, no emotion is one or the other. 
they just are what they are. And I think if, if we can somehow uh, come to a place where we understand um, things like vulnerability or frustration uh, or a high, the high alarm that we feel living in a pandemic simply as our human response to what's going on around us and that's all it is it's not good or bad it just is it becomes very empowering very fruitful for us to be able to name that's what it is you know if I'm going to bed at night and I'm feeling afraid because that does happen especially in these times I worry about my sons and their well-being and I, you know I'm given to worry I'm a dad <laughs> right so uh, yes. which is a never-ending job right so i i, I yeah. i'm going to go to i'm going to lie on my pillow at night and i'm going to find myself ruminating and worrying and feeling fearful all i need to do and at least what works for me is is to simply name that as alarm it's alarm yeah that's all it is uh, the problem if we don't understand alarm for what it is is it gives our our brain um, fodder for making up a story. <laughs> That's the disaster thinking part. It's it's how we we spin yarns of 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 kind of crazy thinking about all the things that could happen, and then we can't sleep, and then we find ourselves going round and round. That's an that's an anxious response to alarm, and and that's that's what it is. So simply just bringing it to consciousness will help us, um, and 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 help us bring it down. Uh, so, so if there's ways of help, helping ourselves name the alarm and then, well, what works to bring it down? What, what would help me just settle that a little bit? And that's where spiritual practices are absolutely, you know, integral to, to helping us, helping us settle. This is quite a journey we're on. It's delightful. <laughs> it most certainly um, is a journey. Who knew, right, Trevor? Yeah. So we, we've been talking about, you know, the right now with all the vulnerabilities we have in the pandemic, what I hear you suggesting is, is that maybe the best thing that we can do is to be gently self-aware of our emotions with non-judgment and non-violence and compassion and to allow the, whatever the emotions to be, allow that energy to move, and in particular around grief and crying, because that will help us move towards hope. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's one way of really, I think it's a fair and honest way of approaching it. It, it, because otherwise, I mean, well, it brings us to some some way of focusing on what is otherwise such a broad area. But I, I feel that this is one very helpful way that we can all approach whatever our day-to-day -day experience is. Is, is is to take up a relationship with what our emotional field is presenting to us. And we, we, we simply should not be surprised that we have days of feeling at a loss or days when we feel really frustrated. 
you know. Uh, that just is a natural human response to the kinds of things that we cannot change, fix, or, or, or make better. It just is. We just need to be with that. And we invite our spiritual practices. We invite the presence of God. We invite the, the spirit of God to come around us, to draw on, on that wisdom, to draw on the, the, the gift, the grace that God gives us through our faith and, and our tradition to lean in. Because that's the safe attachment. That's, that's there for us to lean in, to know that we are unconditionally loved, that we are fully appreciated for who we are and for the feelings or emotions that we have. Feelings are simply the names, the words, the vocabulary we use to give voice to an emotion or to give mm -hmm. a sense of definition to an emotion. It's, it's what's available to us on the surface. The emotion is what rests yeah. under the surface. That's why they're hard to, to figure out. But I, 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 th I think that's, it is fair to say, I think, that that, that is uh, an honest, uh, valuable approach to the vulnerabilities that we fear or, or that we face or fear <laughs> that's fair yeah um, is there a spiritual practice from your from your own life that helps you be with your vulnerability and to to be uh, with your emotions you know it, it's The short answer, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the long answer is is that there is no one practice, I, I think. Yeah. Um, and so for me personally, there are uh, a few approaches that seem to be showing themselves to me now. Mm -hmm. uh, and and one, one is... Uh, spending time with my fountain pens and writing about whatever I need to write about and in whatever color of ink that I, I have available to me as a, a creative expression. Remind me to, to, if I forget, to come back to play for a minute. Um, that, that's an important aspect of, of spiritual practice, I think. Uh, the the other thing that, that Susan, who is in full-time ministry with me here in High River, the two of us have been taking our congregation on a journey through the Psalms. And we've decided that since April, we would write a commentary on each of the Psalms that uh, we provide on a weekly basis through to the first week in September. And that, that will that will get us through all 150 psalms for the most part. And what has, that has been spiritual practice. I want to say that quite explicitly. 
to sit with the Psalms and then pay attention to what is evoked when I read them. Well, there's some Psalms that are quite grisly. Oh my gosh. But boy, oh boy, are they honest. The, the emotional vocabulary in the Psalms is very instructive, very helpful, very deep, profound. But what I've noticed as I, you know, we're now in the 100s where I just finished writing Psalm 1, 101 to 112. And Susan, as I speak with you, is taking the next uh, dozen or so. But what we are both noticing, and, and, and just because this is recent experience for me, is the significant and central place that the Hebrew word chesed plays. Mm, yes, yes. Almost in every single psalm, even the most disturbing ones. The the psalm, uh, the one with the that's about cursing. Oh. Whew, 109, I think. Or 108. I don't have. I just uh, don't have it in front of me. Um, the word can, is imprecatory. Yeah. To, to can you explain for folks that aren't literate in Hebrew what hesed means in its I, multitude? I would, would love to. Um, it, thanks for reminding me. But hesed, it, it, it's, it's such a, it means steadfast love. Essentially, steadfast, let me qualify that, steadfast, unconditional love. Let's add to that kindness, compassion, patience. It goes on and on, right? Huge. Has it somebody translated loving kindness too? Too, yep. I'd go with that. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, no matter how difficult the life of the psalmist is, at the end of the day, it almost always returns to an acknowledgement of chesed, of God's mm -hmm. steadfast, unconditional love, holding up the people of God, holding up all of creation, and holding up the people's prayers. And, and so I, part of my spiritual practice, in fact, has been calling upon chesed, how do, mm. I in, how do I invite chesed into my daily life? Now, that, that for me is an integrative one, an integrative practice. I, I, I do it in, in, in the times when I'm writing or journaling or sitting quietly on my spot on the couch. But it is something I, I try to have before me in every instant of my waking. Like, can I tap into that? When I'm feeling upset and frustrated at politics or the idiocy of whatever's going on in the world, and you know, I'm going to be careful here, but you know, there's just there's a, a lot. lot. Of, Let's just there's say a, there's a lot. There's a lot. It's, it's infuriating and talk about frustration and anger and, and having those emotions in me. Can I, even in that 
deep angst and frustration can I call upon and rest in chesed? Not only for me, but for the one who is the idiot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or for the for the disturbance in the force, it, for whatever yeah. is going on that is interrupting and and getting at me. How do I situate that? And and is this a way in for me to do that? And and so I'm exploring that as spiritual practice. Yeah. And and with the Hesed and with the psalmist, and uh, I'm I'm no expert on this, but it's not magical. It's not like. A, like a magical thinking or a magical divine being. When I'm listening to you, I, I hear a quote from James Finley, who's uh, studied under Thomas Merton, and he said this, which has stuck through me with through the pandemic. Uh, God is a presence that saves us from nothing, yet yeah. unexplainably sustains us through everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and so, in a way, this hesed is, this practice is not, uh, if I hear it right, and correct me, is 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 not uh, necessarily it's going to magically fix things, but somehow it's going to bring you or us through to the other side. Yes, because it is fundamentally, divinely attached. It is a, it's, it's it's the divine attachment again. You know, um, I love the, the, the James Finley quote. I think um, in one of his books, I remember uh, Merton speaking about uh, the relationship with the divine as an invitation to fall backwards into the company, into the presence of God. You know, so it, that speaks to the nature of the the trust and the loving uh, context of divine attachment that we could literally relinquish and fall backwards into the presence of God. So that 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 is not magic, <laughs> not at all. It's not wishful thinking, and and it it. In fact, I think serves to call out magical thinking in order to delineate what is true. Uh, you know what we can ground ourselves in, and what what we can attach to in the best, most divine way that helps us stay rooted, and you know uh, discerning. You know, there. I'm still pondering uh, how how all the measures and all the practices around how best to be safe in the pandemic. But under under underlying a lot of the narrative, I still think is a a, a relatively large modicum of wishful thinking. That you know, by Christmas we'll have this, uh, you know, or we'll have something ready to go by the new year. You know, it's just just going to disappear. It's just going to go away. That's what happens, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, you know. And I think one of the difficulties for me personally has been trying to root myself in what it means to take up a relationship with this pandemic, because it's going to be around for a while. 
we don't know how long, but I think it's going to be longer than we really want it to be. So magical thinking can't really be much of a service to me in that. And, 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 and so when I take up that relationship, when I choose to make that decision, what disappears? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 that's not easy territory. I, I would not want to say that that's a piece of cake. It's not. But somehow or other, I think hope and vulnerability is premised on, on that somehow. I don't know how yet. Well, I really appreciate you sharing There's the spiritual practice of, um, you've shared so far, gratitude. You shared the spiritual practice of of writing, uh, and probably it's probably a flow of consciousness sometimes. Whatever needs to come out on paper, and then the spiritual practice of uh, hesed or unconditional loving kindness, uh, falling into it. Uh, finally, you you wanted to share about play. Maybe I, that's something too that's really important right now. Well, it, 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 so I'm going to be totally upfront with you, Trevor. Um, play is a construct for me and not something that I do easily in these times. But okay. that's okay. I, 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 want to, I want to name it as, as a source of grace. So, what is play? And, and I'm relying very much on Dr. Gordon Neufeld right now, uh, just to give credit. Uh, and, and, and again, to say that much of what I've said about emotions is all a product of my studies with the Institute. Um, so, just, just to be clear, some of it's original, it's kind of get all mi- gets mixed in there, but uh, play, play is uh, there's some things about play we need to know. One is that it is not for real, it is not work or outcome based, and it has a beginning and an end. Mm. Right? So those things in mind help define what play is. So I, I, I've been playing in, in, in especially around masks. <laughs> I think we need to play with masks because they're they're a polarizing thing right now uh, in, in in our context, but also uh, in others. Um, no matter what the science says and how that's received, and et cetera, et cetera. But I left the barbershop the other day saying, who was that masked man? <laughs> Just to see what, what happens, you know, and, 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 and in that moment, which was rather unconscious, I, I, I didn't really mean it to be an intentional, I, didn't, I wouldn't say that I was smart enough to, to have thought that through in the moment, but it's just what kind of evoked as, as a result of that transaction, and, and it made me think some more. You know, we we could have so much fun with masks right now. We could attach so much creativity with with masks. And 
And why I think play is so important is it is because it's it's not for real. It's it's safe. As a beginning and an end, and it's not outcome based. Play actually creates a safe place for our emotions. Mm, yeah. So we can play with the frustration. We can play with uh, rights, privileges, and entitlement, because I think, honestly, that's at the root of a lot of this polarization that's going on. You know, we could play. You know, I was thinking about oh, all my superheroes. They were all masked. <laughs> you know, Batman, uh, yeah. even Zorro going way back. The Lone Ranger, for those of a generation who will appreciate that, which was actually uh, begun in the 1930s as a radio show. Uh, the Incredibles were all masked. You know, Wonder Woman masked. You know, just, just, just saying. You know, the 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 mask concealed those identities, uh, yes. and introduces a playful aspect into the whole life of a superhero. But at the same time, those superheroes were all about the common good mm -hmm. every single time, and the fact that their identity was obscured just meant that they could go about remedying the situation and creating stability for the common good in a way that kept identity secret. In other words, it went, it was in play. It was mm -hmm. in play. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, 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 I think, you know, play can be a significant resource to us emotionally as we as we work through our life and relationship with the pandemic <laughs> and oh, i would yes. i would hazard a guess that we could include that as a spiritual practice because it it is uh it leads to grace i think Pl play is such a wonderful thing i'm thinking of so many things after you've talked about i think of play therapy as a modality um i'm i'm i'll be honest i i sort of collect a playmobile i don't know if you know what that is i do yes and yeah. um as an adult when you play with it i think it opens up space for hope in a way that one can't see and it reminds me of that quote uh that paul you know we do not hope in what we can see Mm -hmm. but in what we cannot see. Yes. And a hope, hope is that. We've, we've never really answered the question hope, and maybe that's okay. Well, like we've danced around hope, and maybe I think as we come to the end, maybe, maybe we can't answer that question, or it's a disservice. I don't, do you have any final thoughts? I, I, um, truly appreciate i mean i i want to say that i i've not at all felt that i have been intentional about not getting to hope sooner uh it, it's just that i feel there's so many the territory is is wide and the landscape is vast in order to situate hope 
but I don't I don't want to shy away from it either so in, in sort of lasting words I think hope is attached to our ability to choose hope is a product of our resilience which is a natural aspect of our willingness to embrace our tears because it's all connected you know we always uh, rely on you know the, the rather well-known quote from Hebrews around hope is 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 thinking or being attuned to the things not yet seen you know um, I've always sort of struggled with that a little bit because I've I've always felt like I want those things to be seen. <laughs> you know, it's easier to have hope when I can grab onto something, right? Yes. But but it, it, hope, I think, is is a product of our capacity to decide, to make a decision, and to choose. You know how we want to see the world, how we desire to see. Hope may also be the product of our own naivete. But again, you know that for me, that's a, that's a spiritual element. Uh, what if, if we if we decide against hope, where does that lead us? What's the alternative? It would be cynicism or despair or something worse. Nihilism. Pardon me? Nihilism. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So hope, I think, happens when we choose it. <laughs> hope is, it, it, it truly is not seen, but it, it's like, you know, when, when, when I see the sun go down at the end of the day and, it, and those beautiful sunsets that are this time of year, it it i always think about when it's going when it's setting somewhere else on the planet it's rising that it's the setting is attached to rising and 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 when i i observe the sun rising in the morning i know that it's setting somewhere else and that we are all connected it's just not my individual experience that matters. It's 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 my experience of that moment in the collective. And somehow or other, that's attached to hope for me. You know, someone someone said I can't remember that 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 the darkest, most difficult time is is around three a.m. <laughs> You know, in the middle of the night, when we're predisposed to waking and maybe can't get back to sleep and the dawn seems to take forever. And so we kind of drift. We kind of, we wait and hope. We anticipate the sun coming up. I feel that that, that is a, 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 an expression of hope for me. I, I, I root myself in that because there's a pretty good chance 
the sun is going to come up. <laughs> um, you know, so <laughs> kind of, I hold on to it, even when there's not yeah. much for me to hold on to. There is, there is that. And last thing about hope, because I'm, I, I do like the the Gaelic and Celtic approach. Uh, a morning spiritual practice for the Gaels was to face the rising sun in the morning with arms outstretched, to greet it and to to welcome it and to allow its light to wash over and be hope for the day, and then to actually turn around, face away from the sun, and notice the shadow which is in the form of a cross and to simply step into the shadow as a way of taking up the challenges of the day, taking up the life that is ours to live, knowing that we do that with hope. We do that with light. We do that with the sense of being accompanied by the divine, by the angels, and by the presence of Christ. I feel that 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 is uh, a posture of hope. And that will get us through. It will. In life, in death, and in life beyond death. That's a wonderful image to leave us with of being with the sun, of acknowledging it and turning around and stepping into the shadow and being with the vulnerability of this moment and then the next. Th thank you so much for your sharing and your wisdom and being with us today. I feel this has been a privilege, Trevor, and, and uh, oh my goodness, how humbling. <laughs> 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 How terribly humbling. <laughs> you know, when we're, when we're walking around uh, the whole sense of emotions, um, I often refer to Rumi's poem, The Guest House, and that, that's relatively well-known, I, I believe. Um, do you want to read it? Well, if, it, if you feel it might work, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's, 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 uh, it's always touched me. It's kind of kept me in that sort of thoughtful space. Um, so Rumi writes, This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. That's Rumi. Uh, thank you. Thank you for reading that. I'm glad you shared that. 
Well, I like the part, meet them at the door laughing, because yes. that's sort of a playful kind of invitation, isn't it? Like, it is. come and play with me. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. What sparked your curiosity in this episode? Do you sense a resiliency that was hidden before? From the conversation, where is hope leading you? If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, consider rating it, and sharing it with family and friends. This podcast is produced by McKillop United Church. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for the generosity of all of our donors. If you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com or mckillopunited.ca slash donate. Peace and blessings to you.